G'day everyone, this is Greg Ryan and welcome to episode 36 of Rare and Resilient 1 in 5000 podcast where we're talking IARM. and today we are joined by Nat from Melbourne, Victoria, my hometown, who is the mum of Levi who's 18 months old. Welcome to the podcast Nat. Hi Greg, thanks for having me. Oh, it's absolute pleasure. I've been following yours and Levi's journey for a while now. So yes. we're in a position where now that he's uh, at 18 months, you've been through a lot. And for the parents of newborns who would just starting their journey, I think it'd be great to hear from someone who's just, you know, not far into it themselves. So do you want to just start talking about your story with Levi and how you've gone, how your journey's been? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, firstly, thank you for having us. And secondly, we've been following your story. Our surgeon, one of our surgeons actually put you, put us onto you in one of our appointments. And since that day, I think we've, we've just, yeah, Levi's loved watching all the pictures and I've loved reading all the stories and, and really feeling like, you know, being a part of a community that we didn't know existed and and I think that's a real shame because there's so many issues for young children out there especially you know these congenital issues that more parents more pregnant women more families should be aware of before you know before before giving birth knowing what could go wrong or or knowing yeah at least having an idea I think is probably my main focus after all of this but yeah so We were, I had a very typical pregnancy. I was very sick. Luckily we were during COVID, so I didn't have to go into the office. I could be sick at home, which was lovely. And then we had all of the the genetic testing and nothing came of it until Levi was born. So the pediatrician didn't pick up Levi's IA. It was actually picked up when I sent Peter um, Hubby over to do the weight and height for Levi with the midwife. So they took him over and and obviously flipped his legs up and she said, "Mm, hang on, there's something not right here. And for all those mums who have just given birth, you have no idea what's going on. The adrenaline is going crazy. And to hear Hubby say, nah, nah, there's something wrong. You just... You feel like you're floating and you just, you, you can't possibly imagine, you, you think, oh, it's going to be a sniffly nose or you just, you can't possibly imagine, um, you can't prepare yourself for that. And then I just remember the paediatrician being called back into the room and she said, oh, I can't pass a catheter. The catheter won't go through. And I thought to myself, that's a really strange thing to say. Why would you say that? And um, Peter came over and said he doesn't have a bum and I said what do you mean he doesn't have a bum and it, it escalated from there we were look we were very very lucky there was no pediatric surgical suite and very limited pediatric care where we were at Werribee Mercy so we were they they organized a piper straight away for Levi and he was pipered up to Monash Children's yeah so for anyone who's from Australia we're on one side, so we're the very west side of Melbourne, and we were trucked to the very east side of Melbourne. The Monash facility was fantastic. They also amazingly took me for my postnatal, so I could be transferred over there and and be in hospital with Levi. That must um, have made it 
so much of a difference to you. Absolutely. Because, I mean, obviously another great option is the Royal Children's, but, you know, it's a children's hospital, so I certainly couldn't have been there. So actually Monash worked out really well for us. I was in there for the next five nights and they just said to me, use this as a hotel whenever you need to, whenever you're going to go home, you go home, just stay as long as you need. They were really very good. They didn't rush us at all. And then Levi went up maybe five o'clock in the afternoon. I got up there by 10. And I just remember going into NICU and thinking, what is this? Like, what's just happened? I've just given birth. And now we don't know. We, we weren't given any instruction. We were told that a catheter wouldn't pass. The paediatrician didn't know anything about imperforate anus. She didn't know anything about anorectal malformation. She didn't know. She couldn't give us a name. She couldn't give us a term. All she said was, I don't think he has an anus, but I don't know. It, I just don't know. Gee, that must have been very, very confusing at the time. It really was. And um, my husband's first language isn't English. So when someone tries to speak to him in any kind of medical jargon, it goes over here. And for me, you know, being transferred up to up to Monash, you know, there was a lot of things that, you know, I could be there, I could be close. For me, that was really, really important, especially not knowing what any of the outcomes were going to be or what even the issue was. But for Hubby, I mean, he came home to an empty house with our dog and I, I just, I, a shout out to all the dads who go home at the end of the day and have no idea, or even the mums or, or, or the kids or the grandparents. I reckon he sat in this house. I, I made my dad come up to sit with him because I just, I didn't, I didn't know what his mindset was going to be. He's just gone through this amazing experience of, of you know, cutting the cord on his son and to be told, hi, we're now going to take your wife and child away and we don't know what's happening with your son must be heart-wrenching. You know, I could at least be there and touch him and feel him. I think that in the beginning that was probably the hardest thing for me because we didn't have any answers and I'm, I'm a very logical, rational person. So, I, you know, I did the Google MD. I was going to say, did you do the Google search? Absolutely, I did. And obviously this massive list of awful things came up. And so I call hubby and I'm like, don't Google. Just don't Google whatever you do. Don't look at it. We'll deal with it. I'll talk to the surgeons in the morning and we'll work out what's going on. So full props to Monash. The next morning, obviously, husband came up. I reckon at 8 o'clock the surgeons were already in my room saying, let's go across. We'll have a look at Levi. We'll talk you through it. I know they're paediatricians, I know that's what they do, but the connection that they had with me immediately was amazing. They were caring, loving, we're here, we're going to, we don't know the extent, we're going to fix it, we do this all the time, it's common. They gave me a name, they gave me a place to go, they gave me a counsellor, they said, you know, whatever you need, we will be there for you. Here's a lactation consultant. You know, this is how often we're going to feed him. This is what we're going to do. They were so informative. Even though they too didn't know the extent of anything, they straight away said, it appears that he is has an imperforate anus and we don't know that we don't know the scale of it yet. 
there is also, they said we don't want to scare you, but there is also this other term called bacteral, which, you know, as everyone in this community knows, you know, goes along with it or can go along with it. We're going to run every test possible on this scale to see what the effect is. And this is going to take a few days, but please be patient. You know, they gave me direct telephone numbers and they were wonderful. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I was very, very lucky with, with the team that we had. So that was day, that was day two. So that was a Saturday. They came back to me at lunchtime on Saturday and said, we're operating tomorrow. He'll be in surgery by 7am. And I was just like, what are you talking (laughs) about? I don't know what you're like, what do you mean? What does this mean? And so, yes, so Saturday, Sunday morning, he went in for his colostomy. So we got his stoma. That was the most horrific thing anyone who's ever seen their three-day-old have a cannula inserted. I think I stood in the corner of the room and cried because they they literally called me at 6 a.m. and said, we're doing pre-theatre prep. You need to come over. You can walk him over to the, to the theatre. So, again, they were fantastic. I quickly got up and ran over. Wish I had missed the catheter part, but that's fine. Yeah, so then we walked him over to theatre and obviously went back to my room and and just waited. But the anaesthetist came over during that cannula insertion process and actually ran through with me the two options, depending on where the site was, you know, what what they needed to do. So I was given two options. One option was he'd come out with an epidural which would mean he wouldn't be on any any medication when he came out and he'd be awake or he'd come out under anaesthetic and I'd meet him in recovery. So I was given two options. Both were the same. It just depended. And I was really glad for that because in NICU when he came out, the other little girl in our room had had the exact same procedure, but she had come out with an epidural and Levi did not come out with an epidural. So had I had I sat in that room for long enough once he was out of recovery, I would have been thinking, hang on, why is he different to her? Is this yes. good? Is this bad? I'm a massive overthinker. So for me, that was really important, their communication. He came out really well. We, we've been so lucky with everything that has happened. He came out well on no pain or he had one shot of pethidine, but other than that, no pain relief, just such a little trooper, like, like no crying, just happy, no pooing. Unfortunately, it took us a while to get there, but that's fine. So does that mean to go through you to use the bag? Yes. Yes. So we were, we had a colostomy bag. How long did it before? He voided. Um, it took us, it was three days before he voided. I imagine that, that would have been pretty stressful at the time. It was because it was over COVID and I'm pretty sure it was a Mar- It was the March long weekend. They didn't actually have any pediatric stoma bags on site. So we had, we had no stoma bag and they gave me an adult, a, a child stoma bag, but they didn't have any infant ones. So they gave me a child stoma bag. On the Tuesday, everything came in and it was no issue. 
he was he was bag free for a couple of days but then by the time you know just a little bit of leakage by the time Monday came around we were voiding so we were grateful that we had the bag and the stoma nurses on site actually so they were they were also awesome. I'm fortunate enough to have met a couple of the stoma nurses and they've actually given us some of their excess supplies that we've sent to Ghana from Monash they've been magnificent. Yes, I actually have a box for you for that. So please don't let me forget. I need to send it. Yes, yeah, the stoma nurses there are, again, they're amazing. Gave us a direct line and said, you know, if you've got any problems, call. And, and they were really great. You know, they actually said, you're going to be better at this than us by the time you're done with your stoma because you're the one doing it at 3 a.m. where there's an explosion or working out the different which cream, which powder, you know, all of those different combinations that are different for everybody. So that was, you know, they were really great with that. They said, look, we can absolutely help you with everything, but, you know, you will be, you will be the expert. That's really important too, because the parents do become the experts because each child is different. Yeah, absolutely. Even, you know, chatting amongst the community, we're all a little bit different and everyone tries to help everyone. And here's, what I've used, and yes, absolutely, you try that, but I think you just, you know, you just have to try and, and see what works for you and also what's within your price range. Everything's so bloody expensive. <laughs> yeah. Now, you mentioned it was a little girl that had the same surgery at the time. So yes. were you able to meet up with her parents? Yeah, so I did chat with them a few times, but she was I know she was Vactoral and I know they had a lot of other issues then after we left Niku, she was still in Niku because she was having some some issues, but I never saw them again in the hospital. Oh, okay. Now, with the how did the vectoral tests go? What did um, Levi have any other associated issues? So all the vectoral testing was negative except for we had we had a blip on his heart scan that they said we don't know, it will probably just resolve itself but it was nothing to worry about. So that was all we had bacterial-wise in the initial testing. Like most IA kids, I'm sure they all go for their kidney scans and get all of those things. So we had, we, Levi, had his PASAP at two months. Oh, that's that's great. Having yeah, it so we quickly. Were, we were very early. COVID actually really assisted us because Everyone kept, all, all of the elective surgeries kept getting shut and stopped. And so because we were a level one, category one surgery, we kept getting pushed forward. So we were actually rushed through. Yeah, that's, and that's interesting because I have seen a lot of examples where it's been the opposite, where mm-hmm. a lot of parents have just been waiting to have their the, the piece up and it's been delayed and delayed, delayed because of COVID. So yeah. I suppose in some respect, you were in the right place at the right time. We absolutely were. And our, literally our surgeon, Dr. Amalia, said to me, no poo, no life, you're category one, you're going through. Oh, that's wonderful. And I said, I'm with you. <laughs> whatever, whatever you need will be there. You just tell me a day. Right. Now, did you ever actually find out what classification type ARM he was born with? So he is on the mildest of the mild scale. That's so right. What we did find is um, within those last kidney scans um, and when they did the iodine dye, we found that he had, it had the, the 
the colon had literally come all the way down and it had just stopped shy and there was a tiny, tiny little tube that actually came to the anus but didn't exit. I see. Right. So he was so, so, so close but didn't quite come through. So, again, something else we were very lucky with, it stopped just short, making everything probably that much easier for the surgeons. And and the I suppose the other good thing with that is when we were there, the doctor called and she said, look, we're going to do a quick check just to make sure that the connection hasn't come through his into his urethra. Yes. And so while they were there, they actually found about four or five post-urethral valves. So that ended up being the only bacterial thing that we had, the only combined action that we had. So, yeah, so they, they shredded the valves, which seems to have held. They've, done it, they've, they've gone back to check a couple of times and it all seems to be fine. Um, bladder works well. And, but, yeah, so we were, we were very lucky that they, one, did that, two, you know, you know, checked. We were rushed through. I think at four months we had our stoma reversal. Jeez, that's, yeah, you really have got it done really quickly. We did. Dead of winter, we were in having our stoma reversal. Yeah, they were very, very quick, very on it. I think also probably because we were such an easy case, it probably did really assist. And the uh, the big question is how did you handle the dilations, especially with him oh. being so small too, I'd imagine, like two months. I, I, actually, it was something you said, and I know a lot of people say this, you're not doing it to them, you're doing it for them. Yeah. And it was something that resonated. And, you know, I rem- the first time I couldn't even do it. So we did did them with the surgeon and then we came home and I said to, to Peter, we're doing it tonight, right? Let's do it. And I couldn't get the dilator in and I just burst into tears and I said, I can't do this. I can't do it. He said, you can do it. And I said, no, I can't. And I called a friend who's a nurse and she said, I have no idea how to do it. I said, all right, I try- don't ever Google how to do anal dilatations. <laughs> don't Google it. Made that mistake at three in the morning trying to work that out. Don't do that. I called, I called the stoma nurse the next morning. She said, I'll put you through to... She put me through to the specialist clinic and they said, look, come into emergency if it's an emergency and we can go through it. Or they booked me a, um, an appointment in the speed clinic. So I went back up to the speed clinic and I said to her, I don't even want you to do it for me. I just want to show you how I'm doing it. She said, you're fine. You just need to do more pressure. You know how to do this. And, and I did. Yep. But it's that horrific thing of not wanting to do it to them. Yeah, and obviously, you're hurting them. And, yes, because yes. they're crying. You know, he was screaming at the top of his lungs. But, you know, what we got there, we were lucky. We stopped, I think, maybe at five months. We must have stopped. We got, we got to the right size and we haven't had to do them. He's been doing great poos. So we've been very lucky that we haven't had to do any more dilatations now that he's older and would understand, you know, that something's happening. Were you still doing them after the reversal? Yes. You were, yeah. yeah. When you said five months, I thought, yeah, that must have happened. Yeah, 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 definitely. We did. Oh, no, it must have been longer than five months, maybe eight months. So you've done them for a fair while. We did them for a really long time. And then obviously the surgeon said, you don't have to do them anymore. And I think I did them for another month just to make sure. What would your advice be 
to parents who are getting to that stage now after you've been through it because no one knows more about than having the, the parent having to do it themselves? I honestly, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't get any easier. It doesn't get any better. I think it is honestly that, that one line that you said, you're not doing it to them, you're doing it for them, knowing that this too shall pass, you know, you'll, you'll get past it and it's all for good. It's not through the screams and the tears and that's just your own and that internal monologue of why are you hurting your child? You're actually, you're not hurting them. You, you're making it possible for them to live a more normal life in the future. That's great advice. So, Nat, how did your husband handle the whole process of, especially the dilations part? Look, Peter was great. He didn't actually physically do any of the dilatations. We did it as a team every step of the way in that he always held his legs and I, I did the dilatation. He he did everything else. He changed bags, you know, cleaned up all the explosions, everything like that. The only reason he didn't do it is because we thought that if there was one good cop and one bad cop, then oh, yep. we at least we at least had that. If he yeah, so that was the way we kind of played it. Even though Levi was very little, I just it, it was always me. I was in the hospital all the time with him. I did. I went to all the surgeons. So because it was COVID, there was only ever one parent allowed. So Peter knew the action that needed to happen. He knew how to do it. He just never did it because we were always together because we were in lockdown and, and, and all of those things. So we were probably very lucky in that instance, but he would have done it if he had to. Yep. Sometimes I think it was harder for him because I was holding the dilator, which meant I was in control. He was just there holding scrambling legs and watching tears so yeah sometimes I think it was it was probably harder for him than it was for me but I also through everything that we've done together with Levi we have outlined what we're doing so we've always described it now we're going to do the number seven this is this dilation it's going to be for 10 seconds here goes the lube in it goes one two three out we come well done you've done great Let's put our nappy on. We've always we've always talked about everything that we were going to do so that if he ever does actually remember any of it, we were talking him through it. We told him why we were doing it. You know, it was probably more comfort for ourselves knowing yes. that, you know, we were one month to go, you know, one day to go. Now we're down to every second day. Now we're down to once a week. Yeah, I think it was more comfort for ourselves, but, you know, it was really important for me to to do it that way because that's if I if it was me that's how I'd want it to be done yeah because it was COVID time and especially with us we were under a fair few lockdowns yeah how was it explaining to family and friends what you were going through honestly we didn't tell anyone right at the start the first month I don't think we said anything only because Firstly, we didn't know what it was called. So, you know, when you get that flush of text messages going, congrats, you've had a baby, is everyone healthy? And you're like, no, but I can't tell you anything. So there's no point in saying anything. So we didn't say anything for a while. And then we wanted to know what it was going to be. And then family was okay. 
my parents are regional in Victoria, so we didn't get to see them. So they didn't see him for the first month to two months. Right. Um, so that was that was really tough for them. Yeah, I can imagine. But, I mean, they couldn't have done anything anyway, so I think they had to reside themselves to the fact that they couldn't help, so it didn't matter. It was okay. Friends, I don't, I just, I don't know. I think for me, I was always very open. He was born without an anus. We don't know what the steps are. This is where we're at. Yep. Peter didn't say anything to most of his friends. He told a couple of his friends they're all in Hungary. So, again, for him trying to work out that translation and, and make it, you know, is, is very difficult. His friends were extraordinarily upset, much more upset than, than mine were, I suppose, for different reasons. You know, one's a doctor, one's got three kids who have all come out perfectly in his image, which is really lucky for him. <laughs> yeah. Because do you think that's a cultural thing as well? And plus, because they're males? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And I think we were the last ones to have, in Peter's group, we were the last ones to have a child. And so I think they always thought that Peter's child would just be the most perfect little creature and they were all just going to dote on it. I don't know. You just, it's, it's not something you hear about, nor is it something that you, that you think about when, you, when you're pregnant or when you're, when you're discussing with your friends about having a child or giving birth. You know, everyone just goes, oh, so you're healthy, you're both healthy. No one thinks to say, was there anything wrong? Yes. Especially over here, you know, we we live in such a, a especially not during COVID, but we live in such a privileged medical world in Australia and we're so lucky that you don't, you don't think anything's going to go wrong. No, that's exactly right. And this is a question that anyone who listens to the podcast know, how have you handled it from a mental health side of things? That's a really good question. I think for me, um, as I said a bit earlier, I'm a bit of a realist and I'm quite logical. So for me, I just had to say to myself, this is what we've been dealt with. If Levi can wake up every day, then I can too. He didn't, right. there wasn't another option. And especially during COVID and maybe again, that was a blessing for me. I didn't have, there were no mother's groups. There was no maternal health nurse. There was no, there wasn't, there wasn't anything available to us outside of Monash that could even lend itself to me that we just, we just had to do it. So you were on, you were in your own little bubble, weren't you? Absolutely. Yep. And I, do you know what? I'm glad I kept it that way because we were rushed through with all of our surgeries and had I been to the shop or had I been to a mother's group and one of us had been a close contact of COVID, we would have lost our spot in the hospital queue. And I didn't, for me, that was, that was something I could control. I could control us not being close contacts. So for me to control that, if nothing else, that was my way of dealing with it. I was not going to let anything make him miss any spot, any hospital appointment that, you know, that we had lined up. Yeah, and I suppose too, not being in, another, um, in a mother's group situation, you then 
you're not exposed to seeing the other kids and mm -hmm. how they haven't got any health issues and not having to explain to the parents exactly the ins and outs of the whole thing Absolutely. every day. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, the first time we really had to do it was daycare and describing and they were baffled they just kind of looked at me and I said this isn't that rare this is one in five thousand like you are bound to have come across another child person baby with this and they're like I've never heard of it yes do you know that's the other big thing for my mental health reading everyone's stories and for us knowing that this is one end of the scale and this is another end of the scale and there are thousands upon thousands of stories in between. For me, I could sit there and say, all right, well, if this happens, this is what we're going to do. And if this happens, this is what we're going to do. And if none of it happens and we just move forward with our lives and it all falls into place, then we can be a spokesperson to say bums aren't scary let's talk about this more yeah and did you find reading the rare and resilient book helped you so much so and I actually gave it to my dad and for for my dad it was probably my dad was in tears he just said I can't this is going to be my grandson and I said there is stories in there that will be your grandson and then there are stories in there that will just light the way to show us what we don't have and what we could have and what we are. And for me, it was amazing. But for my dad, it really, I think he really, it opened his eyes to what he missed in those first, you know, one or two months that they didn't get to see him. And I sometimes think that he's probably grateful that he didn't see what yep. it would have been. But the book just was amazing. It was so helpful and so comforting. You know, reading it at 3 a.m. during a feed was nice. I didn't feel like I was the only person on the planet up facing problems. That's great. I, I can't tell you how many people have said the similar thing that it's for the parents itself, they're reading the stories. Well, okay, this is our world. But I think for them, for parents to share it to family and friends is there as much to say, well, you might think you know the whole story, but this is the this is a real story. Absolutely. And, it, and the reality is so much different. What goes on in your head when you hear a diagnosis and then you're told, but we don't know, and then you sit on a diagnosis, a never-ending diagnosis for months going, until we get this next scan, we don't know what it is. You know, yeah. we don't know what the scale of anything is. I can only imagine to be to be sat there and told something, you know, the other end of the scale from what we had, you know, it was hard enough for me just sitting there and then hard enough for, for Peter sitting at home wait, or sitting at work waiting for my call to say, all right, well, this is what it is. Yeah. Don't Google it. I'll send you the pamphlet. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Dr. Google is yeah. number one enemy sometimes. Absolutely. Now, now let's fast forward to how's the, how the little fella's going now. He is great. He is full-time at daycare because I'm back to work full-time. He loves it. Honestly, to, to see him, to play with him, even to change his nappy, no one would even know that he was born 
any different to anyone else. We yep. went up a um, we went up a class recently in daycare, and they didn't pass on the information to the new room, and um, we were having some um, some issues with with poop and being sent home. And so I went and spoke to the new teacher, and said, "Well, so you know about his IA?" And she said, "No." I said, oh. "What do you mean?" And she said, "Well, what's that?" And so I explained it, and she said, "Really." She said, I would never have known. Like she said, there is nothing about him that I would have guessed apart from the occasional poop issue. She said, there is nothing different about him. Yeah, that's, and that's wonderful too. And I, so the next time we had our, the surgical follow-up we just had, I said to the surgeon, you guys are just the bomb. Like you, (laughs) no one even knows. Like I, I couldn't care less if everyone knows, but for him as a person, as he gets older to have that, and, you know, and to be able to keep it to himself and share when he wants to, I think, you know, that's that's going to be important for him. Yep. And so what what sort of medications are you on? Is he so on anything? No, we're not on anything. We're just on a bowel management plan, which we're doing for ourselves at the moment. Um, and what's that? Are, so we're just low grade. So it's really just about making sure that, you know, we're getting a more firm poo, making sure you know there's no constipation no diarrhea so we're we're just kind of balancing out the fruit which he loves with you know fiber and just playing it really by ear and you know trial and error absolutely for an 18 month old who one day gnocchi is his favorite thing and the next day he wouldn't touch it with a barge pole and just wants to eat yogurt you know it's it's a matter of sometimes spooning yogurt into his face while putting gnocchi in there at the same time have you identified food in the diet that that aren't good for him absolutely sugar is the number one is our number one killer really yeah sugar if he has more than like if he had a whole caramello koala we're in trouble yeah we'll see that's and that's just so important to and that's and you're not going to know that if, other than the trial and error. Absolutely. Like you can go to as many dietitians and all nutritionists in the world, but until you know yourself. Yeah. And knowing, knowing about sugar early is handy because, you know, look, I, I have no doubt that he's going to be in his teens and get on the grog and go to McDonald's. And, but for him to know that if that's what he's going to do, that's fine. But there's repercussions tomorrow and the day after and the day after. I think we're not going to put a ban on anything, but we, we are definitely going to say, right, well, you know what the repercussions are. This is what you need to do. Much like I think you did with yourself, if I remember correctly. I, if I want to have Maccas, I know that for three days I'm out. And if Levi chooses to do that later on, then absolutely he can do that but at least we'll be able to give him the lines of sugar don't work for you, cereal don't work for you, pasta works for you, you know, and whatever it might be that he yep. can, yeah, that he can play with. So, Nat, how does it feel to look back now on the last 18 months and talk so openly about it? Yeah, so I know we spoke about doing this podcast a little while ago and for me then I wrote a big story and I, I put all the dot points down and where we were at and that was that was a tearjerker for me. It, it really brought out the tears and then listening to all the episodes, 
I cried through most of them. Bad thing, don't do it on the way to work because I think that's when I did most of them. Um, <laughs> and then, but then, you know, thinking about it retrospectively, we've been so lucky in how everything's fallen for us that it's it's easier for me to look at it in a positive light because, you know, maybe we can we can help somebody by speaking it in a more positive light. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's cathartic for me. Well, that's great. And I can tell you, you definitely have spoken in a positive light and I know it will help others. Thanks. That's great. It's my aim. Well, you've achieved it. Thank you. No, then thank and thank you, honestly. You've made me be able to talk about it in a positive light and see some some positives in it, you know, with a community. So thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure to be able to facilitate making this uh, avenue available for everybody. That's all I'm here for. Just a awesome. <laughs> Thank you. So Nat, this has really been wonderful and it's fantastic to hear such a positive story. What's your last piece of advice for anyone who's starting their journey that you've been through for the last day and eight months with Levi? Just hang in there, reach out. If you've joined the community, reach out, ask your question. There will be someone that has gone through something similar if not the same and we'll all you know reach out and and give you our responses it might not be you know exactly what you need to fix your problem but we can we can at least tell you what we've tried and what worked for us and I think just just keep going it's this too will pass that you it'll get better it'll get worse it'll get better it'll get worse but we'll all be there for each other and you know, you'll get through. I couldn't think of anything better to say than what you've summarised it perfectly. So, Nat, thanks again for being so open and give parents the hope that they are looking for at the moment. It's It's been wonderful. And give little Levi a big hug for me when he gets home from daycare today, all right? Will do. Thank you. All right, Nat. Catch you later. Bye-bye. Thanks, Greg.